Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 44 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, I'm a former horror writer and an occasional maker of disgusting films. That's a good one. I'm it's, actually... It's a work in progress, Mitch. I think I'm also a former horror writer at this point. I haven't done it in quite a long time. <laughs> I feel like I might need to rejig my intro. How you been, man? I've been okay, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all, not bad at all. Um, For timestamp purposes, because I've kind of taken to doing this. All right, okay. I just want to let everyone know we're recording this on a Saturday evening. We are indeed. (laughs) Um, And yeah, we've spent the afternoon uh, watching a couple of films. We have. Doing some recording. We have. And drinking some beer. Yeah, we have. And we are. Yeah, presently. How has your week been, man? What have you been watching? (sighs) Oh, there's a slurp. What have I been watching? Yeah. Good question. Uh, a couple of things. I picked up uh, 101 Films' new Blu-ray release of Class of 1984. Okay. Which has former guest Philip Escott all over it. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, his grimy fingerprints are all over it. Episode 36. <laughs> oh, well done. Well yeah. done. I could not do that for the life of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, really great. Great film in the first place and a, a really cool package that 101 have put together. Awesome. Um, yeah, I never really used to like the stuff that 101 were putting out, but they seem to have kind of pulled their socks up and the stuff that they're putting out now is really super strong awesome okay cool maybe they've felt like kind of when you're faced with people like what 88 films is putting out or what second sight are putting out yeah or what arrow video are putting out maybe they're in that kind of place where they're like we can't just keep putting out shit adapt or die yeah because they're putting out they were putting out good films but they there was no love there like the packages you mean. yeah yeah but now it seems like they're actually putting some heart into things and some love into things and it shows. Cool. It really um, shows. Well, that's encouraging. That's yeah. nice to know. Anything else? Yeah, I checked out Overlord. I know this because I saw it with you. <laughs> well, you saw some of it with me. I saw the second half. Yeah, uh, you, you, um, I, think, you, I feel like you saw the meat. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you you caught me up very quickly on what had been happening up to that point, but I think you should talk about it because you saw the whole thing. Yeah, I, I quite liked it. I thought it was uh, daft action horror Nazi zombie nonsense. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a lot of time for it. The bit that I saw, I quite enjoyed. Yeah, yeah the second yeah. half, I, I liked. I like. I liked it quite a bit. I will probably go back and watch the rest of it now. Yeah, have you seen Outpost? I actually haven't. No. Uh, I remember when the trailer came out for this. Uh, the guys that made Outpost put up a couple of tweets and stuff, and they were like, "Oh, good to see that someone's remaking our film or something." Oh, really? Okay. Um, not entirely unwarranted. Okay. Comment. Okay. Uh, there are okay. a lot of similarities between Outpost and Overlord. Right. <laughs> One being a much larger scale production than the other, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of what Outpost could have been if it had more money behind it. Okay. But that said, I really like Outpost, and I really liked Overlord. And there's some really cool, super gory stuff in there. Yes, I mean, I saw that. That was, yeah, some really impressive uh, effect stuff going Yeah, on. including a, a pretty cool uh, double tap of a hang grenade in the mouth. So good. <laughs> so, hang grenade so in the mouth, good. exploding motorbike. 
yeah combo uh yeah I, I really liked it i would absolutely urge anybody out there to check it out it's one of those kind of you can turn your brain off when you're watching it because actually nothing that really goes on is explained in any way right okay okay the reasons for them being for them being there is explained pretty quickly and then the reason for them being in the underground lab and actually what's going on is never really touched on in any great detail where it's going to make you think or question anything that happens. yeah and it's not to the detriment of the story no think. no it's a simple plot and it's uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool, Sounds I liked good. it. I, I liked it. I had a lot of fun with it. Is that your lot? I'd say so. Yeah. Cool. I have a couple of things, but only one for this purpose. Okay. I have some. I, I, you're going to be so proud of me this week. We'll get to that later. I watched on Netflix this week, and I do like catching up on things that I missed at Fright Fest. Oh right, I, I know where you're going with this. So um yeah, so I mean you'll I mean a lot of people have will have seen. I think a lot of people who listen to the show that have Netflix will have probably seen it coming up on the recommendations and stuff. I checked out um, Await Further Instructions. Ah, by Johnny Kavorkian. Johnny Kavorkian, yeah. Um, so Await Further Instructions for anyone who is not familiar. Uh, the IMDb synopsis for this is a family's Christmas takes a strange turn when they awake to find themselves trapped inside and begin to receive mysterious instructions through the television. There's not a great deal more to say about the plot than that. That is your basic conceit. Um, <laughs> I seem to be in the minority here, but um, I did not like Await Further Instructions almost at all. <laughs> right, um, go on, make your case. I didn't like it. I mean, I'm, I see that kind of thing. This kind of one location um claustrophobic you can't get out thing you know the kind of things that you saw in kind of cube and saw and call the boss <laughs> um call the boss yeah i am like i'm quite into that in general right like, i gravitate towards those claustrophobic kind of like the kind of game element and the instructions through the tv kind of thing when all this stuff kind of started kicking off i was quite quite on board but i think that I don't know. There was just, there was no point where I kept on waiting for the point where I was going to really kind of lock in with it. <laughs> uh, and, and it's like I said, it's a promising setup from my point of view. And I was sure that somewhere along the line, I'd be like, right, cool. I'm in. So I was holding out for like the point where I was kind of like, right, I'm on this train. I'm ready. You know, I'm in <laughs> because it looked so promising on paper to me, but uh, I just found it very difficult to engage with. Right. Like, okay. I, I, like I had a hard time giving it my undivided attention. I did. I had a hard time doing that. Yeah. So this family comes together and one of them kind of comes home with a partner. Um, she's an ethnic minority. It's established very quickly that the granddad is racist. Oh, I wonder if they'll get along. Obviously, they don't. <laughs> there's, and there's quite a lot of kind of familial tension that I feel is kind of underdeveloped. And as things escalate and get kind of sillier, that stuff starts to feel like waste because I don't feel like it really manifests in a significant way later. Right. Um, also, another problem I had, for one thing I would say, actually, uh, the aforementioned racist granddad is played by David Bradley. Okay, cool. Uh, you know, I'm yeah. uh, Walter Frey from Game of Thrones and all that stuff. Argus Filch from Harry Potter. Harry yeah. Potter, yeah. yeah um, he's doing good work here. And honestly, performance-wise, there's not a great deal wrong. Uh, but yeah, I just I had problems with it in almost every other way. Um, and I think that I was really hoping that the explanation for why they're in this situation was going to be a little bit more satisfying, but I found the entire kind of denouement of the film to be very silly. <laughs> um, so I, 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 feel like I'm, I feel like I'm getting past the point. I feel like I'm openly trashing this now, but I, I didn't like Await Further Instructions. That's okay. Yeah. You're allowed not to like things. So. Mitch, what's the Shockwaves 100? Mitch was watching the Shockwaves 100 this week. Is this what I'm going to be proud? I watched two this week and <laughs> neither of them were easy three point rewatches either i watched two first watches this okay week. okay so for all me in fact i double build them i did them on the same night i watched uh the blob 
Wow, okay. Okay, 1985? Uh, there or thereabouts, yeah. I um, I quite like this. I think that uh, films with this level of kind of gloop are more in your wheelhouse than mine. I would 100- I think anybody that knows me would 100% agree I think that. Any, anyone that knows both of us, I think yeah, probably, I yeah. I think anyone has had any- even the slightest, most fleeting kind of exposure to the stuff I make mm-hmm. would- yep wholeheartedly agree yeah i mean i yeah I, I liked it i thought it was fine i had a good time with it but uh it's also kind of like it kind of exists outside the things that i really respond to sure okay um but mm-hmm. I, but i was aware that it was good you know right. um also i checked out the hitcher oh right okay uh yeah. which i had a lot of fun with it's fucking brilliant rooker how was amazing in it. he's so great amazing yeah. um everything about this everything about this i just thought was really satisfying it's just like it's a really it's a really simple story there's no waste to it yeah mm-hmm. it's just it's really lean it's really visceral it's really genuinely pretty tense i think like he's easily rugger Hauer is the thing about this that draws your eye i think he's brilliant but i think performance wise it's generally strong yeah see thomas howell does a great job of being thoroughly freaked out and scared yeah brilliant yeah um, yeah and i think that like it's one of those things as well you know like when you watch up when you watch a bunch of relatively newer things uh-huh. kind of and it's only afterwards that you watch the things that they were obviously influenced by. Sure, yeah. Like some of the kind of like, and some, and I've mentioned it, I think, on here before. One of my favourite kind of like trashy roadkill. Early not is roadkill, yes. <laughs> right, okay. And yeah. um, and obviously there's so much of the kind of chase stuff that reminds yeah. me of Rusty Nails about that. And I think that that's one thing that I have enjoyed about the shortwave thing is that I'm obviously watching things that paved the way for stuff that I loved later. And I think that was a very obvious example of that. The Hitcher, I liked a lot. It's, it's really strong it's cracking uh, and film. i love the way the kind of tension the minute he picks him up ramps up very quickly it's instant and uh, yeah it's, it, it jumps right in there and i really like that too yeah it's great there also, is a there is a remake by the way i did see that uh, yeah. i would absolutely urge you to avoid it i i, I kind of i yeah yeah i probably will do that there's nothing to be gained much one thing i did say i would do uh-huh. Um, was that I would go and get a check on how many of these I've done. This interests me because I haven't been bothered to do that. So I went back and did it today. I had a count on everything that I have seen for this purpose from the Shockwaves 100. I can confirm that I've done 58 out of 100. Wow, what? It's actually not that bad. I think that like it's. Um, I, I feel like I've been doing it for ages. And Are I you have. including things that you've seen before? I'm, cl- I'm including things that I have rewatched. For this, for this. okay. Um, but so you've, th- you've watched Fifty Eight since we started this, I believe so. Wow, yes. Hell. And what I would say as well is, I've had you about thirty. I think that I have also done all of the rewatches now. So everything else from this point on is new. I think everything from here on out is a first watch. Fuck. Okay. Cool. I may be wrong with that, but I and if any of those arise, I'll let you know. But I'm pretty certain that they're all f- they're, the remaining forty two are first watches. That's that's very interesting. I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, and you know what I think I might do next? What's that? Cannibal Holocaust. I can facilitate that for you. I would love to be it's, there for this. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, like, I have access to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if you'd rather, that can be arranged. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah, um, but it's definitely it's one that I kind of realised. I was like, I haven't been putting it off. Uh, it's a little bit of an audition. You could be forgiven like, for putting off Cannibal Holocaust. It's yeah, it's a little bit like remember when we watched Audition, and yeah. I was like, it's one of those ones that I felt like I pushed back and back because people had kind of made a thing about how uh, heavy the torture and stuff is in it, and I was like, mm, yeah, okay, I could watch it, but then I'll also just watch this one that's on Amazon Prime or this one that's on Netflix. So yeah, I just kind of looked at it and thought it was about time that I did Cannibal Holocaust. So if it's not this week, it'll be soon. Well, it's got to be. 
It's got to be at some point because you've only got forty films to go. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that was my double header. So well, maybe we week. can try and squeeze something in tonight. Cool. Yeah, we yeah. We do have a plan for viewing tonight, which we'll talk about down the line. Yeah, because it's going to directly affect some of the stuff that we might be doing with the show in the future. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we'll get that. We'll get that done tonight. And uh, maybe we'll squeeze in something else from the, the Shortwaves 100. Yeah, we'll see what we can do, but stay tuned. But yeah, like I say, two in the bag and 58 for a total. Yeah, no, it's not bad at all. Well done, sir. So next up... What have they been It's feedback time. Thanks to everybody that's been getting in touch this week. Um, and a reasonable spread of topics. Yeah, do you want me to kick off? Uh, yeah, why not? I've probably got the oldest one here anyway. Uh, so we're going back to Colobos. Okay, so we did a little bit of chat about Colobos this week because obviously this week saw it finally get its release. Via Arrow Video. Yeah. yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, Saltired Popcorn getting in touch at Saltired Popcorn. Uh, saying, rewatched Colobos for the first time in years thanks to the fab at Arrow Films video release. Maybe not as good as I remember, but I, I at least now have the added pleasure of being able to listen to the thoughts of the strong, violent PC guys. Ah, I hope you enjoyed the episode, man. It's a really, really interesting film, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. And when I, anytime I think back to the episode and I think back to watching the film in preparation for the episode, and I think back to the first time I watched it and turning it off way before the film kicks off. gets interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I kind of wish I'd stop with it back then. Yeah, I have this weird compulsion to watch it again, which I really didn't think I was going to have. Um, <laughs> I actually have one on Call of Boss as well, and it's a really interesting one. All right. D underscore twit. Okay. On Twitter. So I'm listening to this only now, and I must congratulate Phil underscore Escott on his incredible determination and stamina defending Call of Boss. Uh, D twit is one of the two directors of Call of Boss. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't know that. We engaged in like uh, an offline DM conversation. Yeah, and we didn't. We were not aware that that was the situation. Uh, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's the first thing that's happened. Incredibly disparaging of his own film, actually. When I don't think he needs to be. I think. Um, well, I mean, I think that fair play to listening to us talk about it and in the way that we tend to, yeah, of, like yeah. that, and having a sense of humor about it. I think that that's a very cool thing. Moving forward, then. So, how about the duck? We've got Laura at Binding LV getting in touch to say, How about the duck is, I think, the only at strong violent PC I've gone back to? Oh, cool. Now sitting amongst a train full of commuters trying not to laugh at a hashtag duck tits. <laughs> do you have anything else on Howard the Duck? I don't, but I think you probably do. Well, um, yeah, we were kind of talking about what the best way to discuss this would be, but um, I kind of feel like we have to flag up the fact that um, over a period of, I think, possibly 36 hours, we and a select few um, of our kind of uh, core listener base engaged in a very long conversation via Twitter, a group conversation, about the logistics of uh, duck fucking, duck fucking, yeah, yeah. Let's not, let's not. S- specifically, anthropomorphic Howard duck fucking. Yeah, it kind of came off the back of me talking about whether it was better. In the episode, I suggested that why doesn't Howard just fuck a duck? And I suggested there was a consent problem. There's there a consent problem, and then um, someone said, "You're a human. You'd be just as wouldn't you just be as well fucking an ape?" And that was kind of what opened the floodgates. Yeah, and I said, "Well, look, if I was the last man on earth, perhaps I'd start fancying apes." Perhaps. And if they wouldn't gnaw off my genitals or cave my head in with a rock. See also the One More Man episode. <laughs> then perhaps I would fucking eat. Um, and this kind of, this the floodgates opened at this point and this conversation 
like I said, took place over a period of, I'd say, 24 to 36 hours. And um, to go back through the mechanics of it would take an episode to itself. <laughs> so um, what I would like to do is thank our most frequent contributors there. And announce the episode on Duck <laughs> <laughs> So um, I believe it was Ross McIntyre, uh, Sane underscore man on Twitter, that kicked us off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lauren McIntyre was um, a frequent contributor. Kim, Wicked Sister 69. Yeah. Getting in there quite a bit. Uh, uh, Dens Beans, Dennis Extra Atherton. Panda. Panda getting in there with some uh, some top quality content as well, um, and a few others as well. Sorry if we've missed anyone out, but that really did uh, grow arms and legs in a way that I was not prepared for. Uh, yeah, there's. I think that they're basically it's a linked conversation, a comment threads from a couple of tweets. It's yeah, there in its entirety, and yeah. I would encourage you to go read it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there about uh, the mechanics of uh, how duck penises operate. There's a lot of mechanics then about further to that how condoms would work. I believe that there's also um, some the references to some academic material. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, one of the tweets is simply the two words "duck spunk." Yep, I believe. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's all there. Have a look at it; it's quite entertaining. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I would recommend checking it out. It's a combination of chaotic, informative, and quite funny. Um, <laughs> but thanks for engaging on it because it's a really odd topic. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, Moving us off the on to urban legend, new person alert. Oh, uh, Hookjaw at the Hookjaw, uh, getting in touch, um, and it was about uh, some of the questions we had about the accuracy or authenticity of some of the urban legends referenced in the film. Yeah, you were way off with all of these, man. <laughs> I disagree. So yeah, Hookjaw got in touch saying, as a US resident, I have to point out that the aren't you glad you didn't turn out the white urban legend is real? I first heard it in the eighties, as well as the humans can lick two version. I want to go on record and say I did not dispute that that existed. My contention was that that had been bastardized to fit the purpose of the scene, which I still believe it has. <laughs> right, okay. Yep. So, no, I just, so, no, I'm not going to accept that I was way off. I wasn't. I got okay. it wrong a couple of times, but yeah, that was, uh, no, that one, uh, yeah, I had a feeling it was real, but thanks to the hookjaw getting in touch there, I think possibly coming across us via the Evolution of Horror. Yeah. Mike Monster's podcast, I think, there. But thanks for getting in touch. Always nice to hear from some new people. Yeah, absolutely. I've got Faye Ellis at Tweak81 on mm-hmm. Twitter getting in touch about Urban Legend to say, at Strong Violent PC, bit behind, guys, but you'll be pleased to know that the dog in a microwave is an urban legend. Also, <laughs> bad product placement on this page. Um, and she's basically given us a, a kind of pressy of the dog microwave urban legend yeah. fable tale fact mm-hmm. who uh, knows <laughs> who can say uh moving forward to uh the busiest section of the feedback for me at least right now uh sleepaway camp the live episode yeah and uh, thanks to everyone who's checked out the live episode and given us feedback on it um we had an absolute blast doing it i hope you guys enjoyed listening to it and i hope the fact that you couldn't see the screen didn't overly hamper your enjoyment of it yeah we did do our best to mitigate against that but i understand that we could only do so much so hopefully um for yeah. those that weren't there and we're hearing it for the first time it didn't take you out of it too much and we will be working on figuring out how we go ahead and do that in the next episode but make it more uh, accessible I yeah. suppose to people who are not there yeah because I mean I think part of the fun of the live show was that it, there was so much going on uh, visually so we didn't want to cut back on that for any reason of course but yeah it's just a trick of finding a way to make it inclusive for people who aren't there Yeah. but yeah Sleepaway Camp um, a few things here Panda a little doubler from Panda both of which I think are worth a mention okay so I think possibly your personal highlight of the entire show uh, when John caught me out on a catchphrase. <laughs> Panda just got in touch just saying, at Strong Violent PZ, hurtling towards the third act, catchphrase Bane caught out. <laughs> Which I think is fair enough. And also, he said, uh, the correct response to you're a carpenter's dream, flat as a board and needs a screw, is, well, you're thick as a plank and everyone's nailed you. <laughs> 
strong. I know it's funny. Um, yeah, you got stuff on Sleepaway Camp? Of course I do. Haley Alice Roberts at Welsh Demoness getting in touch to say, love knowing that there was Christmas-inspired Sleepaway Camp costumes in Anna and the Apocalypse. This makes me a happy horror fan. Mm, yeah, I did not see that coming. No one, nor did I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one thing left from Sleepaway Camp, so I think if you've got anything else you want to throw in there, now would be the time. Cool. Scared sheepless. Mm-hmm. Caitlin Downs getting in touch to say, not all the way through the latest Strong Violent PC Live episode yet, but I laughed so hard at the eye discussion, I nearly lost an eye. <laughs> uh, the exclamation, he's eye daft, will no doubt cause me to chuckle to myself all day. Excellent. Yeah, a lot of chat in Sleepaway Camp about, the, I guess, the general welfare and health of people's eyes. Yeah, mostly from Mel. So, on the live show, we talked a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean quite a lot, about right. the murder of Meg. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, who is uh, stabbed in the back through a kind of thin wall of a shower. Yeah, kind of plasterboard partition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we did talk then about the fact that we thought it was weird that uh, that she didn't reflexively jump forward and instead just stood there and let her back kind of get sliced up. <laughs> Dr. Lauren McIntyre. Yep. Uh, newly dubbed Dr. Death by uh, John himself. Yes, yes. A resident Dr. Death, uh, Dr. Lauren McIntyre at Nodding Golf on Twitter. Hey, it's Strong Violent PC and hey. I worry and Drake. Judging by the shot Hi. of Meg's corpse, she was initially stabbed somewhere between her shoulder blade and her upper thoracic spine, then down the side of the spine. Initial wound and nerve damage would cause leg paralysis and she couldn't move away. Would she not have just collapsed like a bag of potatoes? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult to tell. The knife wasn't quite far. Would she have necessarily fallen when it was raised? I don't know. I, I'm quite happy to just accept that as a correction. I think that I'm, I'm happy to give Lauren the point on that one. Okay. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue. To be honest, that I, I don't have doctor before my name. No, neither do I. So I think that yeah, in this case, I'm just gonna bow to our superior knowledge. I have one more uh, general sure. general niceness on this occasion. General niceness. Um, Kim Morrison at Wicked Sister sixty nine uh, sent us a wee screenshot of her Spotify this week. No episodes to show because I'm fully caught up with a strong violent PC. That's ridiculous. This is the same person who who spunked a load of her own time into making two Ron Minstalls has now spunked so much more of her time into listening to 92 Two. episodes of Us Talking Shit. Yeah, and by now, if she has listened to the episode that came after... And this. And this. So that'll be 94. Uh, but yeah, Jason X was the first new episode I listened to, so four and a bit months and 92 episodes later, I'm up to date. Weirdly, the last episode I listened to was the pre-Jason X minisode. Well done, boys. Kim... Thank you very much for that. And we did have a little bit of a conversation on Twitter after that, inviting people, just asking if anybody else was 92 for 92. And some of you are. Yeah, and that's just so fucking lovely. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, we didn't even know if anyone would listen. We uh, certainly didn't know if we'd make 92 of them as yeah, well. Yeah, we didn't know if anyone would listen to all of it. Maybe yeah. just things that interested them. So it's lovely that people have done that. Yes, big thank you to all of you. Yes, indeed. That concludes my main whack of feedback this week. <laughs> I don't have anything else, but... Well, you know what that means. Yeah. It's a... Mrs. Bitches! Doubler. It is a doubler, yeah. Um, If you listen to the live show, you'll have heard the live Mitch's Pitches, and in turn, you would have... Heard you making a cunt of Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Yes, and eventually settling on uh, Return to Hell Farm. Yes, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Not my finest hour. You think. always not... do sequels. I like sequels sometimes. No, no, no that's yeah. fine. No, I just it's something I've always, something I've noticed more and more. Yeah, but we we did um we did put that image up and ask for uh, some people to get in touch with uh, just some bitches just for fun. Darren Gaskell. Struggling farmer Cletus is on the verge of bankruptcy after another poor harvest, and oh, things no. go from bad to worse when local girl Emmy Lou is killed in a freak accident on one of his fields. 
Cletus wakes the next morning to discover that healthy crops have grown rapidly where Emmylou's blood was spilled. After some research reveals that his farm was previously a site upon which demonic sacrifices were made, Cletus decides to keep that information to himself and lures unsuspecting passers-by to their agriculturally driven doom in order to keep his business afloat. He's bringing in the screams in 1976's Forking Hell. (laughs) That sounds fucking good I think that's great yeah that sounds fucking amazing yeah I think that's really good Andy McCartan Virgin Harvest 2 Dungarees of Death <laughs> right okay uh, James Plum 1983's Destroy All Vaginas wow Carl um, Anthony Smart like this a lot Farmageddon 2 Land of the Rising Sons and Daughters I said Japan yeah I think that's great yeah and uh, Cosmic Ray Girl It's Forking Time oh right going along the same kind of path there yeah yeah, yeah playing a similar kind of card we did have Tony Costanti to get in touch and uh, before we get into this, I do want to, he, um, he attached a disclaimer to this. Right. So we did challenge him to step away from the Mincerverse. And has, just quickly, has he done that? Well, he has later. But the disclaimer, what do you mean? The dis- well, for the next one. But the disclaimer for this was. Well, the next one as in the, next the one pitch. we did in last week's yes. minisode. Right, okay. Okay. But he says, disclaimer. Too much of a good thing can lose its edge. And if there's a better pitch to be made, I won't now shoehorn in Ron Mince for the sake of it. That being said, I wrote this after the live show. Okay. After the disastrous events of Flay Minion 6, which I believe was uh, Flay Vengers Mincemble, <laughs> Ron Mintz retires from his life of crime fighting. Oh. Exchanging his microwave mallet hand for a rusty pitchfork, he decides to honour the dead by building a farm for some reason on the hallowed grounds of the decimated meatpacking facility. But the dead aren't ready to forgive Ron, as the radiation from the faulty microwave incident soon reanimates all manner of embittered, undead, nightmared hell creatures from beneath the soil. Wow. Can Ron ever truly be forgiven for that fleetful day? <laughs> Fuck off. With his wicker hat and corncob pipe ensemble, Ron must take up arms once again to stop these farmland fiends from ruining his rural retreat in 1992's unforgettable agricultural atrocity, Flame Minion 7, The Farmer Takes a Knife. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back, relax, and take in some agroculture. <laughs> Um, and one that I really liked actually uh, from Andy McEwen getting in touch Old MacDonald Vampire Hunter <laughs> winner <laughs> which I thought was funny yep just like that really yeah <laughs> Andy McEwen is the winner of the first one and uh, on to the second one then uh, this past week's mini-sode uh, which was Snuff. It was, yeah, God. The uh, terrible, terrible Snuff. Uh, repurpose, I think, not bad by me as a Massacre at Sunset Studios. Sure, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I was reasonably happy with that. However, other people had some other ideas. Uh, <laughs> Go on, then. Kevin Matthews. Jeff Feige and Shannon Doherty star in Lights, Camera, Death. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boz, it's a long one. Buckle in. Oh, fuck, right. After years working as an underappreciated gaffer on low-budget movies, the aspiring German DOP Hans Furcox, Furcox, F-U-R-Q-U-O-K-S, unleashes his hidden super ability of having ladies' hands instead of a penis. <laughs> what? I did think that the image looked like the hands were coming out his dick. This, this catapults his career into the big time. When he finally got his big break on a large franchise sequel, he thought he'd made it. That was until a huge Hollywood star took exception to the interruption when he innocently checked a kino panel's temperature with his spare appendages mid-scene. Oh no. The star ranted so much it went viral and Hans was unceremoniously fired. 
A year later, returning with Vengeance and a different identity, he gets a grip position with the same crew. Using specially designed overpowered lights on the set of the next sequel, he melts the faces off all the cast members. On realising his vengeance was ultimately unsatisfying and with the police bearing down on his position, he decides to end it all by roping together and chopping off his penile mutations with a hatchet. In 2001's blood-soaked Dismember Salvation 2, if your kino doesn't flow, the penis hands must go. <laughs> I think it's pretty great. Ironically, the best department for someone with four hands would be in grip. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. James Plum at Mad Science Films, <laughs> 1995's Edward Fingerlegs 2, The Madness of Edward Fingerlegs. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Lauren McIntyre, 1981's Lights, Camera, Organ Extraction. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, Andy MC385, Lights, Camera, Murder. Right, okay, okay, uh, okay. Also have uh, Mark the Davies, uh, Bipolar, The Ties That Bind. <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, well, we did ask Tony, challenge Tony to step away from the Mincerverse this week. And, and he's done that, you're, you're telling me. When aging spinster Melanomia Crust... <laughs> Finds herself sitting down for her nightly steak bake after yet another uneventful day of crocheting. A knock at the door of her dilapidated mansion reveals a travelling jigsaw salesman desperate to show her a bizarre new puzzle. Feeling intrigued and spontaneous, he invites the man inside. However, things quickly take a sinister turn as she discovers the salesman is none other than deranged ex-games magnate Lord Horace Hasbro, who has just escaped from the Gary Busey Memorial Sanitarium. <laughs> Now having returned to his childhood home, Horace seeks to harness the mansion's supernatural powers and unleash the nightmarish hell demon Asmodeus within his cursed jigsaw. <laughs> Knowing she cannot stop him herself, Mel desperately tries to phone out for help, but with her withering and unmanageably manicured hands, she finds herself caught in the phone cord and accidentally dials local whipping boy and supermarket trolley attendant Malcolm Simpleton. <laughs> <laughs> Does Malcolm have what it takes to save Melanomia and prevent the Hasbrocalypse? Find out in the 1976 adaptation of the classic novel, Stephen King's The Puzzling of Hasbro House. <laughs> Just another night of aging spinsters, lukewarm gainsters, <laughs> curious puzzles, violent tussles, family names, hell flames, <laughs> tangled cords, entitled lords, Psychotic ploys, trolley boys, <laughs> nightmare demons, and old lady screamings. fair to say that we have a winner. <laughs> yeah, you can't not, can you? Uh, Tony wins. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would also like to give an honourable mention to uh, Edward Fingerlegs 2, the madness of Edward Fingerlegs. Yeah, I don't want it to go without uh, without being recognised as a worthy follow-up, um, but um, roundly trounced by, the, the again, the sheer effort of Tony Constantino. Melanomia crust, though. I think I preferred uh, Hasbro as a subname. Uh, and the Hasbrocalypse. 
Anyway. Oh, I haven't laughed like that in a long time. Yeah, yeah uh, pretty I'm, special. Yeah, I'm I getting was... older. My blood, I think, I'm worried about urine leakage. Yeah, that's quite possible, you know. Plus um, I drank a lot of beer. Um, that's also true. However. Okay. To business. Ready? Yes. Okay, as I'm sending you this, mm-hmm. I want you to know something. Okay. There's a lot to unpack. Okay, okay, that's fine. Okay, you were not kidding. Right. So... In the top left-hand corner of the image, there is um, a square, which is, I'm assuming, is you blotting out the title. No. No, that's another square. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a secondary square. I see. Okay, tagline? Yes. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yes, it was yep. a tagline. Yes. Um, okay, so in the kind of center of the image, the backdrop of the image seems to be kind of like jail cell bars. Okay. And we have um, a scantily clad woman who is in a state of some distress. <laughs> um, yeah, she looks uh, she looks pretty distressed. Um, she has kind of what looks like either blonde or ginger hair, depending on the lighting. Um, a hand is reaching <laughs> into the frame from the right-hand side as you're facing it, holding a length of rope. Uh, in this... Look again. Oh, is it like a whip? Correct. It's a whip. I'm sorry. It's not a length of rope. Um, also, is that Cat and Nine Tails? It is, yeah, down in the bottom left hand or down in the the mid left. Yeah, mid le- mid left. Yeah, you've got um, um a kind of stern looking older lady, matronly. Would you say? Yeah, I would say matronly is fair. Um, yeah, uh, holding a cat of nine tails aloft in her right hand. In the center middle of the image, you have uh three people, two women and one man. Uh, one woman is off to the left uh, with hunched shoulders. She looks the... like she's got a really sore neck. Yeah, she really does. Um, and the man is clapping his hand over the other woman's mouth in what appears to be an attempt to stop her from screaming. You're going to want to mention his face. Uh, yeah, just going to zoom for a sec. Oh, I, I, on closer inspection, I think that he might be like a prison guard or something because he has a, a large set of keys dangling from his belt. Yeah, he's got grey hair and kind of like a kind of convivial old man face. He has a smirk, which is unsettling to me. Yeah, I would agree. Middle right, uh, you've got um, an artist depiction of an old-looking large manor house or building, which I'm suggesting um, would be the hospital slash prison that this is set in. Okay, so uh, a series of black and white images along the bottom. The bottom left is another woman in a state of some distress. She has her hands clapped to each side of her head in a Macaulay Culkin <laughs> Home Alone poster style. <laughs> Um, next to her, we have another woman who seems to be bound by the hands to something, and she's kind of looking sideways. She's obviously on her back. Um, in color, in the middle, we have um, another artistic rendering of a stern-looking red-headed woman in a kind of like uh, body-length gray kind of smock, <laughs> holding another cat of nine tails, making its third appearance on the poster. Um, getting ready to getting ready to whip or uh, getting ready to whip um, a woman who is in a state of undress with her back to us. She's wearing black underwear and uh, kind of like some sort of yellow shawl. Second into the right, um, we've got a man with large kind of mutton chop sideburns and a bald patch holding a, well, I was going to say, yeah, it's a woman, I think. Uh, can't tell if he's carrying her away to do something nefarious or if he's rescuing her from something. And on the far right, we have a stern-looking older man, a shirtless person standing in front of a noose and a stern-looking woman. Um, yeah, you're right. There is a lot going on in this image that is... Uh, that's that's the one of the busiest ones of all time. I think it might actually be way out in front. Okay, right. I will definitely need a moment. You're going to need to run through uh, the Sunshine Kid twice again. Minimum, Mitch. minimum. Minimum. <laughs> <laughs>
you look like you don't even know where to start with this one. It's tricky. <laughs> Are you okay? I'm getting there. You're getting there. Do you want it again? <laughs> I definitely need more time. You know, we can't go more than twice. Okay. That's embarrassing for everyone. I feel like the live show set a precedent here on me being too lax. And, uh, kind of letting you get away with too much. This won't happen again. I'm only doing this because the, the image is so busy. Okay, I right, think well, I'm there. Good, because I was just about to say, I'm going to have to hurry you if you're not. No, that's fine. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Okay, uh, do it. Do it. Uh, amaze me. Okay. Upon her return from a raucous spring break, <laughs> it's time for a promiscuous party girl, Alexandra Trist, to join the world of work. With employment opportunities running low in the sleepy town of Wilmington, Colorado, she has no choice but to take on a role as a receptionist of Trist Manor, the family-run rehabilitation facility for the criminally insane. However, a few days into her new role, Alexandra wonders if all is as it seems. Under the watchful eye of the family's draconian matriarch, the, pa the patients seem eerily calm and submissive following an intense program of implement-based physical therapy. As Alexandra digs deeper into the dark secrets of Trist Manor, she unearths more than she bargained for in 1978's exploitation classic, The Abominable Cat and Nine Tales of Philomena Trist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Uh, you tried quite hard. What year did you say? 1978. Oh, okay. Well, you're not, you're not a million miles off. The year was 1974. Okay. This film was directed by Pete Walker. I don't know that name. Because he directed House of Mortal Sin. Ah, okay. It's House of Whipcord. House of Whipcord. Yes. Okay, so not the abominable no, cat no, no, of no, the abo no, no, not that. No. Okay. <laughs> that. What's that about? Uh, an insane couple take over the operation of an old jail and seek out, abduct, and punish young women who they believe have escaped proper justice. A beautiful young French model becomes their latest victim and must attempt to escape or face an almost certain death. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Heavens above. House of Whipcord. House of Whipcord. That concludes Mitch's pitches for another week. Of course, that image will by now be everywhere. So get pitching. You can definitely do better than I can. <laughs> That's almost certain. <laughs> um, before we turn our attentions to what's going on this week I want to remind you very quickly that we are currently taking submissions for a Q&A episode yes. where uh, we field some questions about us about our uh, creative projects anything else that you feel like asking that we think is appropriate to respond to yeah because we've had some that I'm not um, <laughs> uh, we want you to get in touch by email if you want to do this um, it's stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com we will uh, put some of these together and in the near future just maybe do a half hour bonus episode where we just kind of talk through a couple of them yeah um, yeah it would be great to hear from you guys on that one more immediately we have an episode on friday as always episode 45 yes we do yes yes episode 45 we have a guest once again and it's a good one i think it's gonna be an interesting one we have the co-director and head programmer of the soho horror festival it's mr mitch harrod joining yes and you might have heard mitch before way 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 back when we recorded a, a bonus sword a bonus sword yeah no less with them at serialized screams when he talked about that very festival uh -huh. however we have leaned on him to pick a film this time and what's he going for <laughs> uh we're going back to 2004 15 years ago mitch wow where were you 15 years ago what 15 you years ago so i would have been 
2022. Were you in a cinema watching Don Mancini's Seed of Chucky? I think we both know the answer to that is no. Yeah, well, that's the film. It's Seed of Chucky. Okay, the fifth entry into that franchise. That's correct. Yes, yes, sir. Okay, so Mitch Harrod joins us Friday to talk Seed of Chucky. That's going to be fun. (laughs) That'll be from midnight that day. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, have a word about that selection and anything else you've heard today, you can do that through all the usual channels, Facebook and Instagram. We're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can, of course, also email us at stronglanguageviolentscenes at gmail.com. And if you want to listen to us, uh, there's a million places you can do that that might suit you better than where you're currently listening, because mm-hmm. otherwise this message is pointless if you're not <laughs> listening. Uh, you can try uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Podbean. Podbean. Yeah. Our uh, spiritual and literal home. Yep. And heroes, one and all. Yeah, absolutely. And whatever platform you're listening through, uh, if you're feeling generous, please do feel free to give us a wee share or a like or a review. That would be great. If that's a little bit of a stretch, please do just keep listening and maybe tell your pals. Yeah, listening would be good. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be back Friday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.